but He never fails me. I know He never fails you. That just don't make a lot of sense to this old puny head of mine. But uh, then again, if we had a God we understood, He wouldn't be very much of a God, would He? Open in your Bibles to Esther chapter number 4. Esther chapter number 4. I'd like to preach a message this morning. I've never preached, uh, but I hope it'll be a help to you. I've preached a few messages like this lately, and uh, there's some things in this chapter that it's easy to miss, but I hope I can show you some of these. Actually, we're going to read all of Esther chapter 4. Now, don't get nervous and leave. It's not very long. And uh, only 17 verses, and then about three of them out of Esther chapter number 5. Esther is a very interesting book of the Bible. Nowhere in the book of Esther does God's name appear. It's the only book of the Bible which does not reference God whatsoever. Uh, However, God's providence is seen all throughout the book of Esther. You say, what's the Lord trying to tell us, preacher? Uh, He's trying to tell us that even when we can't see Him, He's still there. Even when we're not very aware of Him, God is still present in our lives. And I'm thankful that uh, the goodness of God in my life is not dependent upon how good I am to Him, but it's by grace through the purchase price on Calvary of my soul And I'm thankful that it's all upon Christ. It's all dependent upon Him. Beginning in verse number 1 of the book of Esther, the Bible says, When Mordecai perceived all that was done... Now, I'm going to explain to you what was done in a moment. It says, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and a bitter cry and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her, Then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai, to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. Then called Esther for Hatak, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So Hatak went forth to Mordecai under the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him, and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan, which is the city this is located in. Uh, It says to destroy them, to show it unto Esther and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him, and to make requests before him for her people. And Hatak came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Again, Esther spake unto Hatak and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. 
For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return, Mordecai, this answer. Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on a royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. And so it was, and it was so when the king saw Esther, the queen standing in the court, that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Then said the king unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther? And what is thy request? It shall be even given thee to the half of the kingdom. And I want to read a verse for emphasis there, verse number 2 again. And it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court, that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. I want you to turn with one more place to me, uh, uh, to one more place with me, amen. Numbers chapter number 24. And I want to read one verse to you, Numbers chapter number 24, and then we'll pray and get into the message. Numbers chapter number 24. And I want to read to you verse number 17. Many of you may know this verse. It may strike familiar to you. It may be the first time you've ever heard it. It's a prophecy, and I think you'll know what it's about. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob. Have you ever wondered how the wise men knew to look for a star? The Bible told them there would arise a star out of Jacob. But now notice this verse. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, I need your help this morning. Lord, I want to preach in an effective manner. I want your Holy Spirit to speak to hearts this morning. I want you to help people, and I want you to encourage people, and I want you to convict people, Lord, but I'm incapable for the task. But I ask right now that your Holy Spirit that lives within me, that indwells in me, that helps me, that convicts me, Lord, would give me unction and power to preach your Word. I pray that each and every person here, their heart would be open to the Word of God, that they would hear gladly the things of our Lord and Savior, and that, Father, you would affect them in a way that bring you glory and honor. If there's one here, Lord, that is lost, they need to be saved. I know that, Lord, and I know you know that. I just hope and pray before this service is out that they'll know that, Lord, that you'll show them their need of you. Father, we come humbly, as humble as we do know how, and we ask you to do these things in our presence. And if you'll do them, Lord... And even if you won't, we'll be sure to give you the praise, honor, and glory. But we pray in faith, believing you will. We ask it in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. 
I know I've read a length of Scripture here that's rather lengthy, but I want to give you a little bit of background if you don't know much about the book of Esther. Esther is contemporary with the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. The children of Israel had been in Babylon for 70 years. A new king arose and gave them pardon, but uh, some of the uh, children of Israel stayed there in Babylon, stayed in Persia. King Ahasuerus is upon the throne. Uh, In some ways he can be a kind king, in some ways he can be a cruel king. Uh, Ahasuerus had a queen by the name of Vashti, or Vashti if you prefer. One day the king is getting a party together and he wants his wife to come out and dance before the men there at the party. Well, Vashti had something about her. I don't know uh, where she learned it, but she knew that she shouldn't do that. So she refused the king. She said, I will not go and uh, be made eye candy for this party. Uh, So the Bible tells us that Ahasuerus put Vashti away and decided he would choose him a new queen from the kingdom. And he sent out the word that he was going to choose from the maidens. And he wanted to find a simple woman, a kind woman. Uh, at this time, of course, as I've said, the Jews were living in the kingdom. A man by the name of Mordecai, who was a Jew, brought forth his cousin, Esther. Now, Esther was just a plain little girl. Uh, she didn't know what it was to be in palaces. Uh, but the Bible tell us, uh, tells us that she had been brought for such a time as this. Uh, do you know that there's times in our life when we can't see what God is doing, but you know God? God knows what He's doing. There's times in our life God is preparing us to do great things. And we can't understand the things going on around us, but really God is preparing us to do something mighty. Well, this was so in the life of Queen Esther. Uh, So the king brings Esther in unto himself and marries her. And now this little Jewish girl that had no business being the queen is now the queen of this great empire. A man named Haman, a very wicked man, arises within the kingdom. And he hates the Jews. He sends out uh, a decree. Uh, The king says that Haman is the chief chief man above all the princes. He was a right-hand man to the king. And as Haman would stand within the gate and the people would go by, they would all bow and give him reverence. Well, there was a man named Mordecai, as I've already mentioned, and Mordecai had to have been an independent Baptist because he was just that hateful and ornery. Amen. When he came to the gate, he said, I'm not going to bow down. Haman said, you will bow down. He said, I won't bow down. You can't make me. You won't find that in the English. You'll have to look in the Greek to find that. Amen. Or the Hebrew. But he said, I'm not going to. You're going to have to make me. Uh, So Haman got a little put out and he went to the king and he said, King, you know, these Jews are going to cause us problems. We need to get rid of all these Jews. In fact, we need to send a decree that they all need to be killed, stomped out, stamped out. You know, there's always been a faction that's wanted to destroy God's people. You know, that's the case even today. And it strikes me interesting that it's always the godless crowd that wants to get rid of the Jews. Have you ever noticed that? Always the godless crowd. Well, the king decided that that sounded like a pretty good idea. So he said, okay, by royal order of law, all the Jews must be stamped out. There was a problem, though. That little wife of his, that queen, she was a Jew. Mordecai, her cousin, comes to Esther, sends word, as we read in the passage, and says, Esther, your only hope. You've got to go in under the king. You've got to make intercession for us. You've got to convince the king that this is a wrong idea. You must save your people. Esther sends back word, says, Mordecai, I can't do that. The king has to call me in unto him. I can't just go walking into the king's throne room. I've got to be bidden to come unto him. Mordecai says, Esther, you've got to do something. God's brought you here for this time. You've got to go. Esther makes up her mind that she's going to risk her life going in unto the king. She says, if I perish, I perish. But I must save my people. 
The background of this story is pretty interesting, but I don't want to just preach it in the context of the background. I read a passage in Numbers chapter 24 because I wanted to use it this morning. You see, in this passage, I don't just see a desperate woman trying to save her people, although that's there. I don't just see a ruthless sovereign uh, willing to carry out his will to the destruction of God's people, even though that's there. The Bible says that there was a certain provision that was made. You see, Esther could go into the king, and the king, if he chose to pardon Esther of death, if she came into that throne room... And he didn't do this one action. It meant death for Esther. You say, but Esther's the queen. But the king's no respecter of persons. It meant death to the queen like it meant death to anyone else. When she entered into his presence, she broke the law. But if the king chose to, he had in his hand a golden scepter. And he could take that scepter and lift it out to Esther. With that one action, he pardoned her, saved her life, and made a way to be in... His presence. You know, as I read this passage, I'm struck that Numbers chapter 24 tells us that Christ is the star rising out of Jacob. He's a lot of things. He's the root of Jesse. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the lamb of God. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. But as you read in Numbers chapter 24, we're told that Christ is also the scepter. When I read in Esther chapter number 5, I see some interesting things. Oh, I know that God's not a ruthless king. I understand that. And I understand that God doesn't seek to destroy His people. I understand that. But you bear with me. And I want to give you three things that I see in this passage. You know, when I look in this passage, I want to say, first off, that in a lot of ways, King Ahasuerus reminds me of our sovereign God. You say, how could a wicked king remind you of our sovereign God? How possibly could you see God in him? I want to say two things about the king that remind me of God. I want to say, first off, that his word was unchangeable. It tells us earlier in the passage, I want you to look with me earlier in Esther chapter number 1, when an earlier decree is given, when uh, the king throws out Vashti. Look what it says in verse 19. It says, If it please the king, let there go a royal commandment from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes that it cannot be altered. Many of you remember in the book of Daniel, when Daniel is cast into the lion's den, And you might remember how that uh, the king was heartbroken, but he had given the decree. And even if the king wanted to change his word under the law of the Medes and the Persians, there was no provision for the king to just up and change his word. You see, the word of the king had authority. The king gave a word, he sealed it with his royal ring, and it was law. It didn't matter what happened, or it was tried to change. Let me say that, do you know that we have a God whose word is unchangeable. We live in a time when people are trying to change the Word of God. Can you imagine something so bold? But we live in a time like that. You can go to any bookstore and you'll find uh, 35 million different quote-unquote versions of the Word of God. You know, my Bible still says that God is not the author of confusion. And we live in a world where people are trying to change the Word of God on a daily basis. You know what I've found in dealing with people? I'll give you one reason that people try to change the Word of God. People try to say, well, we change the Word of God because it disagrees with itself. No, that's false. You hear people say all the time, well, there's all these contradictions in the King James Bible. Show me one. They say there's all these... I don't want a bunch, I want one. No one's ever been able to show me a single contradiction in the Word of God that could not be explained very simply and reasonably. 
You say, oh, well, uh, the Bible says in the book of Acts, it talks about Easter, but that word should be uh, Paschal, the Passover. No, if you read a little bit carefully, you'll find that the Passover had already passed. And so it couldn't be talking about the Passover. It had to be talking about the holiday of Easter. And on and on we could go. People say, well, the Bible's just so unscientific. Uh, the Bible is, uh, is a thousand years ahead of science at all times. Read the book of Job and you'll find that science is all through. Do you know that before scientists ever knew it, that the Bible said that silver and gold runs in veins underground? Read the book of Job. Do you know that before science ever caught up to the fact that the world was round, that the Bible already told us that God setteth upon the circle of the earth? The Bible's always been ahead of science. You can read through before we ever knew anything about germs. What does the Bible say? That the law of the leper, when he goes through the land, if the wind blows, he cries, unclean, unclean. Why? Because the leprous germs could spread to others. The Bible's always been ahead of science. And they say, well, you know, it's just silly, all those myths in the Bible. Like one old fellow said, said, I just have a problem believing about the ark. You ever heard anybody said that before? Anybody say, I just can't believe about that ark. Say, how, how could an ark that size, how could it fit all them animals? Well, that's easy. If you study the cubic footage of the ark, and if you study how many animals could... One railroad car will fit 250 sheep. One railroad car by cubic footage. And uh, the ark had thousands upon thousands of cubic foot the size of railroad carts. It had been easy to fit all the animals in there. One old smart aleck said, see how silly that is? How could the priests bear that across the Jordan on their shoulders? Amen. <laughs> the truth of the matter is people say, well, God's Word is just full of all these contradictions. No, there's one reason people change the Word of God. It's not because it disagrees with itself. It's because it disagrees with them. That's why people change the Word of God. That's why they change the Word of God. We live in a world that doesn't like the word sodomite. But the Bible still says sodomite. We live in a world that doesn't like the term fornication and adultery. But the Bible still uses those terms. People change the Word of God because they don't like what it says about them. Can I tell you that we can try to change the Word of God all we want? And we can try to clip it out and snip it up. And we can try to move it and shift it and mold it and form it. But the Bible says, Forever, O Lord, Thy Word is settled in heaven. They can try to change it down here, but that doesn't change it up there. And they can try to change it down here, but God said, I'll preserve it from this wicked generation. The truth is, it doesn't matter what they try to do. Hey, the Nazis tried to burn it out. The infidels have tried to change it out. But God has preserved His Word. His Word is unchangeable. You say, there's places where the Bible disagrees with me. Well, you better get to agreeing with God's Word, because He's not going to change it for you. You say, but there's places where it's harsh and unkind. No, the Bible says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. You know why you think it's harsh? Because it condemns you. That's why you think it's harsh. You say, well, it's just so hard-nosed. No, you think it's that way because you've got a soft spiritual life. That's why you think that. The truth of the matter is, you get in line with God's Word, you'll love it just like every other believer. Oh, my friend, when you get in line with the Word of God, you'll see it as manna from heaven and water from the living fountains. You'll pant after it. It's a hard panda after the water brook. When you fall in love with God's Word, it'll change your life. You'll love it more from day to day. His Word was unchangeable. You say, what if the king wanted to change his Word? He couldn't. You know why? He didn't have the right to do so as king. You say, what if God decides He wants to give us a new book? He can't. Why? Because he said it's finished. He said don't add a word to it and don't take a word from it. 
You say, but what if he just up and decided? He won't. You know why? Because he's God. If he went back on his word, he'd cease to be God. The truth of the matter is, people say, well, you know, we got all these new books now, the Gospel of Judas. Boy, that sounds like a winner, don't it? I mean, it, it don't take a lot of common sense to tell you that one of the most wicked men in all the Word of God, you don't want his take on things. Amen? It, 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 don't, it don't take a lot of common sense to realize that uh, the only person that the Bible explicitly tells us that has ever existed that was actually inhabited by Satan. Not just a demon or a devil, but Satan himself. That's who I want. That, that's, I want his take on the gospel. Well, you know, we just we have the gospel of Mary now. Can I tell you who Mary was? Let me rattle your cage. Mary was just a plain old flesh and bone human being. You say, no, she was above women. She was above women. No, the Bible says, blessed art thou among women. The truth of the matter is, Mary is no different than you or I. She's just an old sinner saved by grace. That's all she was. Just a vessel used of God for a mighty purpose. The fact is, you can try to go through and change God's Word all you want, but His Word is unchangeable. Let me give you a second reason He reminds me of my God is because His throne was unapproachable. Not just anybody could come before the King. You couldn't just make your mind up one day that you wanted to just waltz into the throne room. You had to be called to come before Him. Can I say that we live in a world that likes to believe in an unholy, base, common approachable God, that's the world we live in. You look on TV, you look on the paintings, half the paintings of the world have, have our Lord looking like some Aryan long-haired hippie. That's not what our Lord is. And they say, well, you know, Jesus is the friend of sinners, and He is. But can I tell you something? You'll never know Him as a friend that sticketh closer than a brother until you know Him as the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You'll never know Him like that. The truth is, Uh, you've got to kneel before He takes your hand. You've got to call out unto Him before He'll call your name. You call out to Him. There's a relationship there based upon Calvary. You don't just go into God's throne room. But we have that idea. You know, we have that idea even as believers. We get sin in our lives. And we just like to waltz into God's throne room like nothing is wrong. Let me tell you something. You may not be very conscious of the sin in your life, but God is very conscious of the sin that is in your life. We don't just go waltzing in to God. You hear people say, well, you know, I've got my own personal beliefs about God. You know what that means? That means they don't have no beliefs about God whatsoever. It means that they fabricated a God in their mind. That's what that means. Hey, say, well, you know, and I talked to a fellow not long ago. He said, yes, I believe in a God. Well, what does that mean? That's like saying, I believe in a wife. Whose wife? Your wife? Better not be your wife. Amen. You better not be believing in my wife. Amen. What does that mean? I believe in a wife. No, if I was to tell you, I believe in my wife, that means something. If you say, I believe in a God, that doesn't mean anything. Now, the question is not, do you believe God exists? The devils also believe and tremble, the book of James says. The question is, do you know Him? as your personal Savior. You don't just approach the throne of God. All the other world religions, none of them make a provision for a broken commandment. Do you know that? Go through. I asked a Muslim one time. I said, what happens when you sin? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, when you sin, how do you get forgiveness? When you pray to Allah, how do you get forgiveness? He said, well, He just forgives me. 
said, no, 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 no. He gave you a commandment, though, and you broke it. So when you come before Him and you ask Him to forgive you, how can He just forgive you? He said, well, He just forgives me. He said, then you have a weak God. You have a God that doesn't keep His word. You have a God that's a liar. You see, the fact is, when Christ said, the soul that sinneth it shall die, He meant it. When the king said, you enter before my presence, you die, he meant it. His throne was unapproachable. There's only one way we can approach unto him. We see that the sovereign reminds us of God because his word was unchangeable and his throne was unapproachable. But can I say that Esther, in a lot of ways, reminds me of the sinner. You see, you look at Esther and you think of this beautiful queen arrayed in in royal garbs and you think of this queen being so stately and beautiful. But the funny thing is, she would have died just like anybody else. Can I say that she reminds me of the sinner first off because she was condemned by the law. She deserved to die. And in fact, she wasn't just condemned by the law because of her actions, but because of who she was. The king had given the decree that every Jew was to be stamped out. Everyone was to be killed. And that included Queen Esther. You say, but she was beautiful. It didn't matter. She was a Jew. You say, but she was the queen. It doesn't matter. She was a Jew. You say, oh, but the king loved her. It doesn't matter. She was a Jew. Uh, Let me tell you the first reason that you deserve to die and go to hell. (laughs) It's going to be one of them messages, right? (laughs) Let me give you the first reason. Because you drew a breath. Because you were born a sinner. You see, you're a sinner. You're condemned by your nature. It's not, you say, I'm not a bad person. Nobody asked if you were a bad person. Do you draw a breath? Does your heart beat? Does your mind think? The Bible says, death passed upon all men in that all have sinned. The fact is, you deserve to die and go to hell because of who you are, just like I do. But you know, she was not just condemned by the law because of her nature, but because of her actions. It wasn't just that she was a Jew, but she had entered into the king's throne room. You know what she did? She wanted to dwell in the presence of the king without having any provision for it. You know, that's where this world is today. People want a relationship with God, but they don't want a Savior to get that relationship. They want to say, well, I know God. They want to say, well, I'm religious. They want to say, "All these." my question is, what makes you think you have the right to enter into God's room? You see, the truth of the matter is intrusion is a very punishable sin in the Word of God. Go through and you'll find time after time when people tried to intrude into God's presence and their sin was not covered. We find in this passage that she was condemned by the law. She was going to die. You know, a lot of people think that one of these days we're going to get to heaven. I've heard people say this. I'm sure you have too. One of these days I'm going to get to heaven. I'm going to see old St. Peter at the gate. I don't know where we got that, amen. People been reading funny papers to get their scriptural teaching. I'm going to meet old St. Peter at the gate, and uh, after I tell a few jokes about lawyers and doctors, he's going to let me in. And then when I get in there, there's going to be a big old scale sitting there, and God's going to take all my good works, and He's going to pile them on one side, and He's going to take all the bad things I've done, like when, uh, when, I, I, when I lied and when I stole that one time, when I used to return them videotapes without rewinding them, He's going to set them all on the other side and see which side balances out. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that the Son came not into the world to condemn the world. It says that the world was condemned already. You see, the truth is, you're not waiting to find out whether you're good enough for God. You're condemned already. The Bible says the wrath of God abides on you. 
if you die without Christ, you die and go to hell. You say, but, but I never got a chance. No, you got a chance. When you heard the gospel, you had an opportunity. You could have been saved. You say, but I'm not all that bad. No, but you're a sinner. You're a sinner. You know what it means whenever the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? We've talked about this several times here lately. Uh, the glory of God and the presence of God are synonymous one with another in, in the Bible for the most part. And so when the Bible says you've come short of the glory of God, it's saying you've come short of the presence of God. You wanted to be in His presence. You wanted to be as good as God. But you've fallen short. You say, I haven't fallen way short. No, but you've fallen short. You have missed the mark. The fact is, you're condemned by the law. But let me give you a second reason. Even though she was condemned by the law, she was counting on His love. What was it that made her think that she could go into that throne room? The provision was made that if the king chose to pardon her, he could take that scepter and lift it out to her. It had said several times in the passage that the king loved her. The king cared greatly for her. And she said, maybe if I just go, he'll love me enough to lift out the scepter. Maybe if I come in his presence... He'll love me enough to pardon me, to make a way. The king didn't have to do that, did he? But he did. Why did he do that? He did that because he loved her. Let me tell you what the sinner's only hope in this world is. Are you ready? It's the love of God. That's the only hope that a sinner has in this world. If the Lord gave us what we deserved, every one of us would die and go to hell. But for the love of God, we'd be in hell this morning. But the Bible says, for God so loved the world. You say, oh, God's so hateful. No, if you believe that, you don't believe the Bible because the Bible says, for God so loved the world. You say, God's so unkind. No, the Bible says that God so loved the world. He showed love to us. How did He show love? Well, the same way that that king showed His love. He lifted out the scepter. Let me give you two reasons I think that scepter in a lot of ways pictures our Lord. Whenever she came into the king, he reached out that scepter, and she reached out and she touched that scepter. And her pardon was sealed at that moment. And then, not only was her pardon sealed, but the king looked at her and said, Queen Esther, what can I do for you? Anything you want, up to the half of the kingdom. Let me say the first reason is because that scepter meant pardon for her. It meant that even though she had done something worthy of death, she could live. It meant that even though she had no business in His presence, she was welcome. It meant that even though her people were going to perish, though everyone else should die, she was going to live. It meant pardon. Do you know that the Bible has offered, tells us that God has offered pardon to us through the person of Jesus Christ? I don't think we really get that sometimes. I mean, you forgive me. I'm not trying to be cute. I'm not trying to be funny. But I really mean that. I don't think we get that sometimes. You say, preacher, why do you not think we get that? Because half of us ought to be doing backflips. Do you realize, put yourself on death row. Put yourself on death row. Sitting in a cold cell, watching the time tick away, just waiting to die. At any moment they could come, you could hear those footsteps down that cell corridor. At any moment, they could come and take you away, strap you in that chair, and send you off into eternity. And then all of a sudden, you get word. Pardon has been given. 
pardon has been given. The governor has called. Pardon has been given. What do you think you'd do if that happened to you? (laughs) I've got a few ideas. You'd probably weep. You'd probably shout. You'd probably run. Can I tell you that a greater danger awaited you and I than an electric chair? Can I tell you that a greater pardon has been given to you or I than a stay of execution? The Bible says that we deserve to die guilty, condemned unto death. But by the blood of Christ on Calvary, oh, my title reads clear. I'm pardoned by the grace of God. You say, what would you do to deserve that? Not a thing. You say, what would you do? How would you be so good that God did that for you? Oh, my. That's why it's grace. I didn't do a thing to deserve that. I just sat there waiting to die. I didn't deserve any of this. You say, you just think you're better than everybody else. No, I don't think I'm better than anybody. But I think my God's a lot better than any other God of this world that they try to fabricate. You say, you think you're so good. No, I believe my God is good to me. I don't believe I'm good. The Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. I didn't do anything to deserve it. Oh, but He gave it freely and pardoned my sin. Let me give you a second reason. I'll hush. By the way, you know what I like? Whenever He lifted out that scepter and Esther reached out and touched it, all of a sudden now, the king and the queen are connected. There's a linking point. It's almost as though that scepter was an intercessor and a mediator between the two of them. Now they're no longer individuals, but linked together by that scepter. Boy, isn't that beautiful. Do you know the Bible says that we're one in Christ with God? Whenever we accepted Christ as our Savior, we're now, the Bible says, oh, I like this, accepted in the Beloved. What does that mean? We're accepted. We're accepted. Now we are one. We're linked together by the person of Christ. It meant pardon, but let me say, too, it meant privilege. You know something that I find? I know I'm not old. I'm not trying to say I'm old. Maybe you think I'm old. Some of the youngsters might think I'm old, but I I know I'm not old, and I'm not trying to say I've been up and down the road and everything. But, But as I get older, that's one thing we all have in common. We're all a day closer to death or the rapture. Amen? And as I get older, I, I, you know, I find something. When you're young, you think of salvation as being only about your sins being forgiven. And can I say that if a person has never had their sins forgiven, they're hopeless and helpless in this world outside of Christ? But you know what I find? It seems like every day that I live, I found out more of what was done for me at Calvary. It's so much bigger, friend, than just God forgiving our sins. You say, oh, you mean, you mean you're on a payment plan. No, it's paid in full. I believe in instantaneous, miraculous salvation, don't you? Uh, but it's funny that the further I go, the more I find out that God's done for me. You see, it would have been enough if, God, if the king had pardoned her. But the king didn't just pardon her. The king said, all right, now half of what I got belongs to you. So in other words, if that king had died, half of that kingdom could have gone to Esther. You know what he did? He made her an inheritance, a joint heir with him. You know, the Bible says that we have an inheritance from God that, that fadeth not away. When you got saved by God's grace, it wasn't just that your sins were forgiven, but you were made a child of God. You say, what belongs to a person? Everything they got and everything their parents got. You know that? I hate to break that to you. 
parents. One of the, you might as well spend it up now or else your kids are just going to fight over it. Except my parents. They need to save everything they can. Amen. The rest of you, spend it all up. Kids are just, me, me and my family, we're going to be civil about it. Amen. But, but the rest of your all's kids are just rotten. They're going to fight over it. It's going to tear your family in two. They won't have Christmas together anymore. The truth is, if you go the way of all flesh, the Lord doesn't come back first. It's going to your kids. Uh, there, there's a difference, though. You see, my God, He's already died and rose again. So with my inheritance, I'm not waiting on my God to die to give it to I'm not waiting on my Father to die and give it to me. But my Lord has already died and rose again, and it's all mine, the Bible teaches. The Bible says He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Let me tell you what God did for you when you got saved. God pardoned you. Yeah, that's true. You know what that means? That means He redeemed you. He paid the price for your sins. You belong to the devil. You belong to sin. You deserve to die and go to hell. But now your title reads clear. But can I say He did not just redeem you, but the Bible says that He justified you. I know we like to say that justified means just as if I'd never sinned. That sounds good. I know it does because it's cute because it says just if I'd. I, I get that. But can I tell you that that is an improper definition of justified? Because that denotes that, that our inheritance, our standing is the same as Adam's. Let me tell you the relationship that God and Adam have. They had the relationship of creator and creature. They walked, they fellowshiped. I'm not saying that it was just like some dog or some animal out here, but I'm simply saying that you and I have something greater than Adam knew. We sing about it. We sing the songs about the angels. Oh, uh, but when we sing redemption story, they shall fold their gilded wings because they do not know the joy that Christ's salvation brings. But do you know that Adam didn't really know what grace and the Holy Spirit was all about? I'm not saying that grace wasn't uh, present in his life. I'm merely saying that you and I have something greater than Adam had. The Bible says uh, that a greater testament has come, a greater covenant, a better way. Can I tell you that when you got saved and justified, you know what that means? That means you stand perfect in God's eyes. That means you're seated together with Him in heavenly places. Can I say you weren't just justified? but you were sanctified. Sanctified. I know that the charismatics have took and hijacked that term. And we live in a time when people hear sanctification. They think you mean sinless sanctification this side of the grave. But sanctification is a Bible word. It means to set apart, to cleanse. Do you know when God saved you, He set you apart from this world? You're not a part of that dirty, filthy mess anymore. Oh, you may get in it and waller sometimes. But like it or not, you're a child of God. You're a separate group of people. You're a peculiar people, zealous of good works. You're a royal priesthood, the Bible says. You're set apart. He sanctified you. He redeemed you. He sanctified you. He, he justified you. Oh, my time would fail me to tell all that God's done for us. But can I say that if all you think that salvation is about is your sins forgiven and a mansion in heaven, you've missed it. God's given us so much more than that. Oh, I, I, I'm reminded of the song. Sometimes I think of songs while I'm preaching. You probably do too, but it's probably not songs I'm thinking of. Oh, but I think about how He walks with me and how He talks with me. I think about how I know that He's living because He lives in me. I think about how, oh, that I, a child of hell, should in His image shine. Can I say that to 
know Christ means to know the privilege of being God's child, to have a royal father, to have a father that's the God of this world, to have a Savior that's the King of kings, that's the Lord of lords. It's more than just saying, God, wipe my slate clean. Oh, but it's saying that He gave me new blood. He's given me a new body. He's going to put a crown on my head. Oh, it means that God has accepted me in the Beloved. Can I say that today you may be without Christ? I don't know. But if you are, do you know the golden scepter is is extended out to you? All you need to do, like Esther, is just reach out and touch it. You say, how do I do that, preacher? You do that by confessing yourself a sinner before God, turning from dependence upon yourself, and saying, God, would you forgive me and save me by the blood of Christ? I want to make you a promise today. And it's not a promise that I could keep in and of myself, but it's a promise that God will keep. If you'll do that, He'll save you. If you mean business with God, He means business with you. And if you'll do that, He'll save you by His grace, by Christ's blood today. Just reach out. Touch the scepter. Can I, can I tell you, if, if you're saved today already, if you're already saved, salvation's more. It's more than just your sins forgiven. Although that's wonderful. Hey, if that's the only thing we had to shout about, it ought to never run out. Amen? But that's not just what it's all about. Can I say that if if you've reached out, if you've touched the scepter, if you've been saved by God's grace, you have the Holy Spirit living within you, you may be having a tough time right now. Can I say that there's a comforter that lives within you? Can I say that there's help found at the throne throne of grace? How do I get into that throne room? Well, if the scepter's been lifted out, you've already got access. (laughs) Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. How do we draw near with a heart in full assurance? Because we have a high priest that's seated at the right hand of God. That's how we do. If you've been saved by God's grace, you have access to the throne room. You can go. You can find help this morning. Maybe you're discouraged. Can I say, "I I don't have the formula. They don't put it in a bottle. They don't put it in a pill, true joy. They might put distraction in a pill. They might put uh, uh, calmness in a pill. But they can't put true joy in a pill. Christ said, your joy comes from me. I give you joy. True peace doesn't come from a pharmaceutical. True, true peace doesn't come from a liquor store. True peace doesn't come from a counselor's couch. True peace comes from God. He said, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. He said, I give you peace. I say that this morning you have access to the throne room. Why don't you come? Grab hold of the scepter. If you've never been saved, if you've been saved, why don't you come boldly under the throne of grace? Find help in a time of need. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, Heavenly Father, you've been so good to us this morning. I thank you for your word and the truth of it. Lord, I want to ask you this morning to move on hearts. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's powerful, that it's penetrating. Lord, I'm thankful uh, that this morning we can get the help we need from You. I just pray, Lord, that we'd find our way to this altar. If we're discouraged, we'd find our way. If we're distraught, we'd find our way. I pray if there's some here that's lost, they'd find their way. That they'd reach out from that golden scepter, get everything they need. Father, we love You. We thank You for it. In Christ's name, Amen.